The boys are back. Would you call it a hiatus? Or how long, how long did we hiatus. do in the end? Yeah, forced hiatus. Um, we yeah. should explain. We should explain to our listeners that we were out for so long because COVID struck not one, not two, but all three households, didn't it? Good so um, yeah. we, were, we were forced off the airways. But uh, we've, uh, we're back thankfully and we have well it's been so long that we've actually moved into a new season almost um so <laughs> we we are doing our five early signs of spring which uh, i think everyone is rather pleased about rob we're transitioning from the winter months into spring now yeah i feel like we've covered winter we've left no stone unturned of that mini series and everything since so Definitely looking forward to discussing spring. Yeah, John, spring as a season, you're a big fan? I mean, I love it and a, a big fan and especially as uh, because I live on the Weald Clay, which is notoriously cold and damp, our spring does tend to come a little bit later. Our mud lasts longer and the sort of cold and wet soils retain their sort of like rather hostile grip for a bit longer but you know having said that things are definitely moving on things are growing hugely quickly now and the birds are in full swing the mammals are going for it so um yeah there's lots to talk about is there an official start to spring are we in it now or we're recording this um on the 8th of march it'll be released on the 10th so is that spring yet or is we very much in the transition period well, I would say we're we're in the season of spring, which is, all these seasons are nice. transitional. But officially, I think spring starts around the twentieth of uh, March. Okay, and, so we're close, uh, and therefore stays as spring until we get to the official start of summer, which is twenty first of June. So, how you monitor these things? I mean, as you you know, I I like my natural history, so wildlife and things like that. It's uh, a lot of people would think of springtime as being the time when uh, your emergent plants start creeping up after winter and the birds start breeding. Uh, Some of our mammals come out of hibernation. Those sort of things mark spring. And of course, we're waiting for our uh, summer migrants to return as they do in spring. Mm. and uh, spend the summer with us. So they're all markers, you know, and for some people it's the arrival of the cuckoo, uh, which won't be for a a wee while yet. Uh, And for other people it might be uh, the arrival of um, swallows or, I mean, for me, the chiff-chaff should be here any moment now. Uh, What about the red wings, John? Should they be here? I've been looking out. Well, 
Actually, funny you mention that. I had a huge flock of red wings today uh, and they should be heading away any moment soon. But you will hear them, curiously, uh, despite being in their great big flocks, starting to sing. And they sound almost like an aviary because you might have, you know, as I did today, there's probably well over 100 in an oak tree. And... uh, They just sound like birds in an aviary. They're absolutely singing their little heads off. This is unusual, though, because what we've learnt so far from these pods is that birds usually sing for a reason, for territory or for mating. So what are they doing singing in a group? A cappella. I think they're kind of of warming up for it, really. I mean, they have got... Um, a, t- a tough old flight away from us. They'll be moving up to Scandinavia and further north, up into the sort of like tundra. And uh, I've, obviously, I've not been to any of those countries, regrettably, to see what their breeding patterns are like. I don't know whether they land already paired up. Um, or whether they land and then establish their territories, whether they go back to the same territories. I really don't know anything about the return visit. Uh, mm. The migrants that come to us, they they come to us and start singing when they get here, and they will sing until they've uh, established a territory, one over a mate, and, uh, and, and actually sort of got her on the nest, so to speak. Well, there we, there we go. Um, well, we should we should um, we should thank you all as well for being so patient with this uh, podcast. John, you want to uh, give a specific shout out, I believe, to someone. Oh, well, after the last one, I wanted to say a big shout out to my lovely friend Julie from Wild Learning, who incidentally also uh help massively get uh children into appreciating the countryside uh but she she listens with interest uh about one of our um sort of i think it's one of our resolutions we're about growing unusual things i think it was one of mine i was going to have a go at yeah. things like sweet potatoes and such like plant something um, new that was it yeah and julie mentioned that she she has success with uh lemongrass which would be something i've never grown before a lovely unusual uh crop and would be great to be used in sort of you know y- y- your oriental sort of dishes and uh i've also since learned that uh if you cut the bottom off of a onion the bit that you usually chuck away where the root would have been uh if you encourage that to grow on just a little uh pot of you know peat free compost uh then you'll get a load of shoots come out of it that can be used like a slightly stronger chives which sounds great and uh beetroot tops again the bit that you probably would chuck away uh slice it off and uh that will grow again on the compost and will show up, uh, throw up a load of uh, beetroot leaves, which are used in salads and good and tasty. So these are just fun things to help us sort of, you know, uh, perhaps sort of um, relate to our food a bit better. Yeah. And the fact that they are natural things that grow and if, if we haven't got the... Uh, gardens or allotments and such like, we can feel a bit detached from that process. Let's move on to uh, our five early signs of spring then, because the way we're going to do this is we're going to run through each of the senses and 
father himself is going to point out roughly one thing for each or one idea for each sense of uh, how you can start to uh, appreciate the early signs of spring coming. So uh, what sense should we start with, John? Let's go with the obvious one, the sight, shall we? Okay, so sight, what have you got? What, I, what I'm looking out for most at the moment, um, with a very slight sense of frustration, actually, um, but is frog spawn. So I've had some of my uh, friends in the nature world, they've had frog spawn uh, in late February. Now, I've been watching keenly because, as you know, we've got a garden pond. Uh, I introduced spawn into that um, several years ago and sort of, you know, annually. And I sort of missed at the fact that frogs might need to get to two, three, maybe four years old before they'll start to breed. So after a suitable delay, uh, the frogs did come back and they started breeding in the pond. Now this year, I've got the frogs have visited. I have heard them in there and I heard them before I saw them. And uh, But when the best way to perhaps see frogs, if you have got a garden pond and they're not showing themselves during the day, is to go out at night with a torch and uh, shine the torch in. And about ooh, three or four nights ago, I went out with my torch, as I always do, and had a squint round the pond. Uh, lots of things starting to move because the water's obviously warming up a bit. And indeed, hey, presto, I've got uh, two couples. So these frogs are actually coupled up. So the male clasps the female. Um, and whilst they're feeling territorial, and actually, even though this is what we're our site, uh, I can play you a little recording of what they sound like, yeah? You can hear the birds in there as well, but... That low noise. That low sort of purring. And what is that exactly? So that is, that is what the frogs do. That's their noise. And is that the male or the female? That's the male. And they're, they're, again, very similar to birds. They're trying to deter other males and attract the females. Uh, in actual fact, it's far more brutal than that. They basically uh, have a bit of an orgy, and it's whoever can grasp the female first. And the interesting thing is they don't wait for a female that is absolutely ready to spawn. They will just grab any female. They literally will hold on to her and they will not let go for day after day after day because they are just waiting for her to let her eggs go. And when she's good and ready, she'll let her eggs go and there might be two, three, four thousand eggs. And at the same time as those eggs come sort of shooting out of her, he will apply his milt, which will sort of fertilise them. Now, the first thing that happens is that they, they, they become a little bit jelly-like, but they're just the size of the eggs, and then they will absorb the water, but then they will come up to the surface and they will float in the familiar sort of like um, 
uh, sort of look, they look like bubbles on first sight, uh, which is the frog spawn. And when you look at these sort of translucent bubbles, you'll see the tiny little dot on the inside, which is the uh, developing egg. Well, thank you for that incredibly detailed uh, <laughs> graphic <laughs> description of uh, frogs mating. I never knew you knew quite that much about it. Um, I shouldn't have doubted you, of course. Um, but yeah, that's that's interesting then. So uh, I'd like to know where people without a pond might be able to see this. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a good point because uh, frogs I mean, have fallen pond, in number. Like big local ponds yeah. or... Local ponds, they don't have to be big, but it will always be in the margins. And this is why it can be quite difficult to see. This is why I'm calling it into our the sight sign. You won't immediately see them. But if you look in amongst the sort of the reeds and the marginal plants of uh, of various ponds, you might just see it almost looks like froth. And uh, But take a slightly closer look and you might well find that it's uh it's frog spawn um if you look deeper into the water and it could be even in ditches and such like you might see what you think is a stringy version uh oh i know what that, that is be... go on then yeah yeah well, you taught us this rob can you remember what that is well it's obvious i guess no <laughs> <I'm struggling. laughs> that's, that's that's toad spawn um, yeah yeah they're, they're, they're like your big old uh, sort of laces but again translucent pretty much but full of black dots do you know about and, uh, that mating process as well john or is it just frogs it's very very cover? similar right. very similar no mm. all these amphibians um they will just clasp onto each other and and you know it's sort of you know it gets even worse if you just sit and watch as i do <laughs> you'll find sometimes you'll think oh my god there's three or four all in tandem because the males just get sort of quite confused and they will get hold of a male that's already attached to a female and uh you know they it's it's quite remarkable to watch and uh but you see they've just got <laughs> this one opportunity and as soon as they've mated of course they don't even need to stay in the pond as amphibians they can live on land as well as long as it's it's sort of moist surroundings and they've got food so they don't dry out they might well choose to leave those ponds and um not not live there sort of thing and so you you can then be watching the spawn for the next sort of yeah couple of months where the tadpoles start to grow within that jelly and then they leave the jelly and become fully grown tadpoles and then you see the transition as their uh back legs start to grow then the front legs and yeah. their tails start to disappear and suddenly you've got yourself a froglet very good so we're we're asking the listeners to look for frog spawn but if you can get your eyes on a sort of frog orgy, then by all means, definitely. I mean, <laughs> tune in. The, I, I'm expecting Frog's that porn. to happen in my pond any <laughs> any moment. But incidentally, on the frog spawn touch up, I know some of your friends have got some ponds, Rob. If you've I got can't. a new pond and you've got no spawn, uh, I'm still a fan of collecting spawn. 
I can't unhear. Behave yourself. Porn. You're so bloody immature. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. My sister has a pond, which I think yeah, yeah. we discussed last year. They had I mean, it was full of frog spawn, and I, yeah, oh, they was. were quite late to develop. I think, or the tadpoles were late That's to develop right. into frogs. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah. No, I'll hit her up and see if uh, if she's seen any action out there. Frog spawn. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Porn, either way, if they've come back <laughs> and if they're doing what they need to do. Yeah. Right, let's move on to uh, what we can hear then, I think. John, what have you got for us? Right, well, You've my You've already given us one bonus one, fan. I guess, but uh, what's the yes, main thing got, for us to listen out to? We like for? to be as sensory as possible on this programme. Uh, well, as you know, I'm a fan of uh, birds and birdsong, and I think a lot of people's favourite this time of year uh, for its sheer cheerfulness and uplifting nature is our lovely blackbird so this is what the blackbird sounds like gorgeous <laughs> it's lovely and fortunately blackbirds that they they will live in Parks, gardens, cities, towns. If they love a bit of... Uh, if they can get a lawn, because they like the feeding on worms and such like. Um, but no they're a lovely me, bird. <laughs> they're good, quite... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, they're, they're a great bird. They're, um, whilst we're keep referring to sex they're sexually dimorphic which means that the male is different from the female the male is the blackbird and you may have noticed if you've oh, been i think uh yeah you're gonna what are you gonna say about the difference well, that you've seen well I, I think that a female blackbird is actually brown yes you're right so the female blackbird is is rather dull brown the male blackbird are much more striking black but importantly at this time of year um his bill the beak turns quite a vivid yellow mm. and he's because he spent the, the whole of the winter with a rather drab brown beak and it suddenly starts to turn a lovely uh light yellow is um, that a mating and, thing um, yeah for what reason yeah uh it's part of his show and glam and uh you know along with the song uh, where he's defining his territory and uh, they build a, a beautiful open nest. They don't use boxes and such like, but they build a lovely open nest and lay four or five eggs. Unfortunately, being an open nest, they, they are a little bit subject to predation. So the, the Corvid family will often take a lot of the first broods uh, and, you know, they're reliant on doing a second brood and such like. Uh but I think their populations are reasonably stable. And as I say, they adapt quite well to town life. So it should be something that nearly all of our listeners should be able to familiarise themselves with. And I almost guarantee if you go for a bit of a walk in the morning time, you will hear blackbirds at the moment. Mm. They're very willing. And when we talk about, we've mentioned this before with birdsong, and you've mentioned that some have one song, some have certain notes. Like I think you mm. said the robin had certain notes, but no specific yeah. song or a variety of different songs. With the blackbird, is it similar or do they have one? Yeah, cool. I'll just put it on in the background again. So with the blackbird, it's fairly... 
so it's fairly low pitched and I always when if I'm doing one of my bird watching uh, sort of bird song walks I say you could probably whistle a, a blackbird's tone it's mm. easy to whistle uh, whereas a song thrush is a bit higher and as we discovered when we're trying to impersonate a robin a few podcasts ago they're much too high so easily uh, whistleable but it's what you call a random song uh, so it doesn't have phrases that it necessarily repeats over and over again mm. if it is repeating a phrase over and over again it's probably a song thrush okay interesting all right let's move on then to uh, our next sense which is smell what are we going to smell out yes. john <laughs> well i i love smells <laughs> oh, and, uh, one of the smells i love is all the rot and decay and stuff on a beach that lovely seaweedy mm. salty iodine sort of seaweedy smell and uh it's something i would encourage everyone to do obviously to visit the beach when and as they can and really suck that air in um lots of uh negatively charged air ionized air which is meant to be very good for our lungs i shall be having a post-covid huff of it very soon i hope and uh but the last time we did go down to the beach um was shortly after storm eunice and the storms along with having the the full moon had whipped up a massively high tide and along with that all the flotsam and jetsam that goes with such a uh thing so that there was loads of uh um seaweed and bits and pieces up on the beach and I was really interested in that they they had some of the curious things which unfortunately we can't show show the the our podcast listeners. I'll uh, tell you what, will you upload actually, them onto the Instagram on the Yes, I would definitely uh, do an Instagram on the day of the episode. On each of these. Yep. Okay. Um what have you got? That's in, yeah, in lieu of the fact us, that we could make this into a, a TV program. <laughs> well, <laughs> so that's I'm going to hold this up yeah. now. Our, our budget uh, allows that. Mermaid's purses. Ever heard of it? No? No. Wouldn't want to Google right. it. So. <laughs> well, do. And if you do, you'll come out with things like this. So I'm just holding these up so that you can oh. see. That makes sense. So I'm holding up a very dark brown square sort of rectangle of a case with four a spine sticking out of each corner. And then I'm going to, by contrast, hold up the smaller one, which can you see that's a bit more translucent. And Is that still a mermaid's purse? Yes, it, it's about um, probably a third of the size. Now, a mermaid's right. purse is the egg sac of members of the shark family. So the shark family are basically... Uh, they're a bit like fish, but they're unlike fish. They don't have true bones. They've got just cartilage. Um, when they breed, uh, they don't just uh, shuck out eggs and let them float off and sort of uh, look after themselves. They lay their eggs in a, a small casement, which becomes 
sort of leathery. These are all a bit crinkled up because they've been on the beach. Mm. Now, these will attach themselves to weeds, uh, like seaweed and such like. And in the safety of this little purse, for that is what it is, you will get the young shark grow. Now, of course, sharks include the uh, ray family, which also includes the skates. And this big guy would be one of the ray family, which makes sense because if you think that they're, they're quite wide as opposed to very slick. These slightly smaller, narrower ones, uh, they are some of the smaller sharks, which this is probably what certainly... Um, as a as a kid, we always used to know as dogfish. Um, I, I think they they're quite popularly called cat cat sharks now, but I don't know why that is. Uh, oh, that's a big old change. Much sense. <laughs> yes, isn't it? Just, um, but yeah, a common dogfish. Uh, you know, when we were kids, they used to call dogfish rock salmon because it was an alternative to cod. <laughs> so nothing <laughs> made sense in the fish world, um, but. I have actually got at home something we collected as as kids. We collected one of these mermaid's purses from the skate family and it was very fresh and there was still an embryonic skate in it with a little bit of embryo still left on it, uh, on its underside. And uh, that Did you raise some... it? <laughs> no, nah, put it in a jar of formalin, mate. <laughs> um <laughs> But just fascinating, and I guarantee that if, if people go down to the beach on the south coast, they will find these things, and perhaps they would probably think that they were just seaweed. But mm. they're, they're something you know, very much more interesting, perhaps, even though I love seaweed. And the other thing that there was Can I just ask, of, sorry, can I just ask before yeah. you move on to that? So when you say shark as well, are you talking like, yes. uh, like an actual shark shark? Well, obviously, it's, it's yes, not but a miniature be... one. Yeah, but I mean, still, not, you'd recognise it as a shark. Basketball. Oh, it is. It's definitely shark family. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 hundreds of different species of shark, and as I say, that includes the the ray family. Like everyone who's probably heard the the great big manta rays that we tend to see on like David Attenborough and such like, but we've also got quite a number of rays which are they're very flat and they've got wings so you know you might well have eaten skate wing um which is the whole side of it and as their name would or as as their design would suggest they tend to be bottom livers and so they will live on the seabed and they're still very predatory they you know they're they're hunters and uh but dogfish are just like a miniature shark uh, exactly the same features, huge uh, numbers of backward-facing teeth that grow continually through their life. Well, actually, no, let's, let's get that right. The teeth don't grow continually. They fall out continually but get replaced throughout their life. And that's why if you're beach combing on the beach, you can very often find shark's teeth because they're shedding mm. them all the time. Uh, so, yeah, real sharks. Even on like awesome. the south, like, like say on the south coast of England, you just find shark teeth. Oh, yeah, speech. we used to do that as a kid the whole t- as kids the whole time. Uh, the, Rachel couldn't believe this either, but we we had a whole box full, didn't we, John? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is yeah, and it's proper, you know. Yeah, yeah, like they're they're, they're impressive. They're yeah. um, you know they well 
they they look very cool. They're quite big as well. Some of them, yeah, some of them are. And of course, you get the fossilized ones as well, and uh, which are millions of years old. But because they're so hard, because of course, although we were talking about uh, shark have got cartilage as opposed to bones, uh, and cartilage is softer, uh, but their teeth are still, you know, the 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 real deal. They're solid. And um, so they 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 get smoothed off by being rubbed around in the ocean, but they're they're still, you know, we we've got some in our collection which we know are millions of years old, literally. Is that another thing you can put on the Instagram? What the shark's teeth? Mm. Yeah, I mean they're most they're mostly at home still, but I'm I'm sure we've got a few around. Right, let's move on to your next one then, John, because um, you have two things for us to. Yes. So have a little look at that and tell me what you think. Uh, No, we're still on smell. We're We're still on smell, sorry. Smelling things on the beach, yeah. Yeah, that's it, yeah. So what do you make of that? It looks like a piece of wool. It looks like wool or maybe it looks like sponge or polystyrene. Yeah, Yeah. sea sponge. So it's actually not sea sponge in this case. It's it's Mm. rather more remarkable and there were thousands of these on the beach when we went down there and if i just show you this shell this is actually a whelk which is one of the uh, gastropod mollusks that uh, live all around the south coast Uh, and this is their their egg cases so again they literally lay all their eggs in a tiny little capsule which all sticks together which gives them relative sort of safety in numbers and they will uh the the whelk eggs with the embryo will grow in there and as soon as they have grown enough that they then leave and start developing their shells uh obviously by leaving this becomes vacant of them and becomes buoyant and then will float up and wash up on the beach. Mm-hmm. So that's why there's hundreds of them around at the moment and they smell awesome. like beach. <laughs> <laughs> so this, the, the thing for uh, smell is to get down to the beach and um, get a good whiff of the ocean. Puff it in. Yes. Do some deep, deep breathing. Okay, let's go to touch. Right, so when you guys have been out doing your daily walk for your fresh air, no doubt you might walk past some pasture or, you know, some fields. Have you by any chance noticed the number of molehills increasing? Yes. I went on a run the other day for a new route and I went past, um, I don't know what it was, like a bank or whatever, and it was just full of molehills. Like, yeah. it was crazy. Dozens and dozens in quite a small space. That's it. Yeah. So, but what's basically happened now is that we're entering the mole breeding season. And uh, so the the males, they literally have to sniff out the females. And so they start becoming much more active. And they, they can move in, incredibly fast, actually, by literally just digging their way through tunnels. And uh, what's even more interesting is 
now, I don't know how this works, so we won't go too far down that line, but I know they are one of these animals, and some birds can do it. They've got, and I don't even know if I've got the right expression here, but it's something like stereophonic smell. And it means that they can uh, follow direction of smell, really sort of like that that's their instinct so for example a mole will be able to smell not only its prey things like um slugs and uh spiders and worms and such like but will be able to smell a female and will be able to dig in her direction until uh he locates her and then sort of mating can take place there's a lot of sex in spring it seems because we're coming into a time of plenty and you want your time of plenty to be when you're feeding young so what's happened at the moment and this also goes ties in with the number of molehills we're seeing is the earth is starting to warm up so the worms are coming up to the surface more and more of the uh, creatures that might be overwintering sort of underneath turf and things like that they're starting to become active again so the dear old molehills are needing to exploit that because the more active they get the more they need to uh, feed as well so they're busy hunting and as they move through they need to dislodge that soil Otherwise, you know, if you think about it, you can't, you can't physically just keep tunnelling. The soil that you leave behind has to go somewhere. So they, they tend to uh, obviously make mole hills. When you see a mole hill and it, and it goes and it sort of goes up in that pyramid shape almost. Like, yeah. That's a very basic. Well, I don't even know that's correct. But, you know, it comes out of the earth. Yeah. How does that happen as such? You know, if they're just pushing the soil away, why does it come... Yes above the ground again do you see what i mean because they're, they're clearing underground it, yeah yeah but they're clearing it out of the tunnels so they they will have regular runs okay it's, and then they'll be in one location clearing out all of that soil getting it above ground or, yes and that they'll be in that one location to rear a family and such like i mean they will have uh the when the young uh so that's an interesting one do you know what the a male mole is called a male mole a mole yeah uh, uh, it's just like one of the other creatures i was gonna say yeah i reckon it's like no i've got nothing the bull bull. mole oh oh nearly bull yeah so as such female tends to be called a sow but then what do you think the uh the the young are called kids Nearly pups. No. So, mole pups. That's sweet, isn't it? Yeah. Now, yeah, just thinking nice. about what you're saying, though, the um, so the those uh, mole tunnels need to be kept clear because that the female mole left on her own, uh, she will be needing to a look after herself for the gestation of her pups which is over a month uh and when they're born they'll be entirely dependent on her 
for I think it's another month and uh, because they're born, you know, quite helpless. So she she can't spend any more time just digging. She needs to spend all her time gathering food, taking it back to the pups and uh, and feeding them. And uh, so it, it's a full on thing. They tend to do apparently a few hours on and a few hours off. So th- through the night and through the day. And uh, and what I was going to say, what I love about Mole Hills is, and what I'd encourage people to do, this is part yeah, of our we're on connection touch here, with which nature. I'm, in, I'm intrigued by <laughs> the fact that we're on touch. Plunge your hands into molehills, okay? <laughs> People will think, no, they're dirty. They're not. Well, they are. They're dirt. But put your hands through them and you will realise, even if, like us, you live on solid clay, it is completely friable. What do you mean? Friable means it's it's a broken up texture. So oh, okay. it will literally run through your fingers. Now... If I took some of the clay out of my garden and tried to break it down, I just couldn't because it's sticky and it stays like as blocks. A mole going through it just must be by how they dig using their their big old front paddle-like feet, break it down into tiny, tiny structures. And then as a molehill, as I say, you can lift it and it will... It's not exactly like flour, but it's, it's like broken down compost and indeed back in the day it was highly valued as a potting compost for two reasons uh one that it uh was broken down and had a nice friable sort of texture but secondly because it's been bought up from quite deep down it didn't contain any weed seeds so it would almost be like using a sterilized compost you know you could pot up your tomatoes or your cucumbers or whatever and you wouldn't get weeds growing amongst them so um mm. it's a molehill stuff is amazing stuff and it's um wow. and again if you don't want to buy any uh compost this year if you're really trying to avoid that sort of thing you know try getting a bag full of and shave uh, off molehills yeah. So how how deep down a molehill is all the action taking place then? I'm not going to plunge our hands into a, a family. Well, scenario. no, you won't because a, a bore. What you what you'll take off the top will be p- uh, above surface level. Mm. But molehills at this time of year, the majority of them are literally between, I guess, 150 and 200 mil below the surface so they're not very deep Jeez, yeah. as i say you, they they want to be in that area where the most insect movement is and the most worms and uh spiders and such like are sort of you know in the soil um so do they close so, that tunnel back up then oh, sorry the molehill back up then or they well, move they don't to need a slightly to. different location yeah, they 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 just yeah. keep moving, and that's why I don't know if you noticed, Rob, when you were noticing them. They do tend to be in lines. Yeah, I can't they, quite they remember. I just remember seeing so many of them. I yeah, was running past. Yeah. It, if you have a look, they they do tend to be in a bit of a line, and um, and of course, once the once once the pups have become independent, which I think is sort of four or five weeks, you will then get 
progressively more because they'll start to distribute. They don't breed straight away because um, I've I got a feeling they only have one litter a year. Uh, but they, they don't stay together, um, even though if you've got hundreds of molehills below the place, that's because you've got a huge amount of their food source. And uh, that would be the reason why. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. Right then. So, our last sense, John, taste. We've got one thing I'd like people to look out for are the three very common ones which are starting to emerge now, namely nettles. I've had my first batch of nettles for a meal already. Um, Garlic mustard's coming up thick and fast. And uh, wild garlic, Mm. uh, ramsons as it's called. And uh, all three of them are really, really useful. They're very simple. They're nice and easy to identify, so they're good forager starters. But the one I'm probably using the most at the moment, because it's already flowering and starting to fire its seeds around, is a plant called bittercress. And uh, this seems to be able to grow literally everywhere but it's it's one of the things that's most overlooked i mean just look it up just google it bittercress or uh look it up in your plant book and you'll see it and then as soon as you start to look i guarantee you'll find it it grows in little cracks in pavements and uh you know around the playground and sort of you know on paths and stuff like that as well as you'll find it in the countryside and you'll find it in your flower beds and they do say once you've got it you've got it forever and it's considered a little bit of a weed but honestly when you taste it it'll just take you back to growing cress as a kid and you'll think well i'll have a bit more of that so egg and cress sandwiches all round yeah if you could pop that on the instagram as well john you're going to be busy in Mm -hmm. in the next week or so putting stuff up but just so everyone knows what they're looking out for and as well if anyone fancies a foraging trip with you um to sample a few of these few of these things um yep then you are more than uh up for that aren't you i certainly am yes it's um it's getting to that exciting time of year and it's you know it's foraging is one of those things where sort of if someone can just give you the confidence to start off with your the first three or four plants that's all you need and they're just a nice little addition you know and they're easy so Mm. so yeah i've seen a lot of wild garlic over the last few days i've been out walking in the last couple of days on lunch and i've noticed wild garlic Mm -hmm. both days yeah and it's one of those things you know Obviously, there's a, there's a few things you can do to absolutely verify it is wild garlic. But if you've got a good patch of it, then take a few leaves from each plant. And even if you don't need them, take them back, make some pesto, stick it in the freezer and you, you can spread it through the year. Mm. Presumably, you just give it a little rinse and then it's good to go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Just rinse the dust off you know and it's fine well i think that's given our listeners plenty then john thank you very much let's run through it quickly then uh, all five just so we can recap so the thing that we're looking out for is the frog spawn Uh, the thing that uh, we're going to be listening to are the blackbirds blackbirds yep Uh, we're going to go down and smell the beach yeah get those Uh, we're going to plunge our hands into various molehills yes and we're gonna have um some what was it called bittercress sandwiches some bittercress and egg sandwiches there we go yeah there you go 
That's the full shebang. Okay, brilliant. Well, thank you very much for that. Enjoyed that. That's and, okay. Uh, hopefully Great. you enjoyed that at uh, home as well, if you're listening. And, well, they are listening. Uh, hopefully they're still <laughs> listening at this point. They have reached the end of the podcast. Um, if not, um, you can go back and listen to it again. But, uh, yeah, no, that's very insightful, John. And uh, I think we're all looking forward to longer days, warmer weather. Yes. And yep. molehills. So yes. um, we will see you all again in two weeks' time. Thanks very Thank much. Thank you all. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.